Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I'll be your host for today. Today's episode has been brought to us through the generous support from the Fort Lee Area Spouses Club. Joining me is Tim Farrell, Senior VP and Chief Operating Officer at MSEC, Chris Swanger, President and CEO for Responsibility.org, and Dr. Katie Friedman, a board-certified pediatrician, writer, and advisory board member for Responsibility.org. I'd like to welcome everybody to the show. Thank you for having us. Always appreciate you, Susan. Thank you so much. So we've come together today to talk about a really important topic, substance abuse, and how it can have an impact on our military teens and young adults. We actually did an earlier podcast correlating some of this information to our school-age kids, but we really want to focus on those older mill kids. And I thought one of the great ways we could do that is first talk about the military team. Tim, as a former service member and father of two, I believe you have a strong grasp of the challenges military-connected children and their families face, particularly when it comes to transitions. So what do you think is important to know when it comes to understanding the military culture? Thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak a little about that, Susan, and thank you for uh, bringing this kind of group together for MSEC's audience. Uh, These kind of subject matter experts coming together on very important topics for the military family and the military-connected education community is so important to help set the conditions to make it um, just a little bit easier for what is a really resilient group of children but still we can't take that resilience for granted. And we wanna make sure that we're doing everything we can to um, make it as easy as possible. And it ain't easy um, for these military connected teens. So I'm grateful uh, to be here with Chris and Katie and and our MSEC audience to uh, talk about this together today. With regard to the military culture, um, probably one of the most important things to talk about with this is though our military teens do serve and sacrifice in their own way, this was not their choosing. It was the, uh, you know, the active duty member or the Guard and Reserve member and their spouse's decision to take on this lifestyle, but uh, the kids didn't get a vote in that. And uh, that's something we need to respect, and it's something we need to talk about periodically, and it's something that we need to you know, be very mindful of in our decisions, in our actions, in our behaviors, in our, the example that we set for our kids, because we can often take that that word resilience gets thrown around a lot. And it is true that uh, it, we are a resilient bunch and our kids reflect that, but we can't take that for granted because, uh, you know, for instance, out of a study that our friends at the National Military Family Association at NMFA, along with our partners, the Bloom Teenage Group did, surprisingly, we saw that on a certain scale, 42% of military teens reported some level of a low feeling of well-being. And that's important for us. It's one indicator, but it's really important for us to think about that if we're not careful, we can take that resiliency for granted. And we need to make sure that we're looking out for these kind of indicators in our military teams, because though their lifestyles are something that we can be extraordinarily proud of, you know, they, if um, they, if they're part of a family that uh, was on active duty, for instance, through their K through 12 entire journey, that could be anywhere from six to nine school transitions, be it within that same general geographic area across the country or from the country to overseas and back. Um, That's not typical of the typical teenager. 
and those are stressors that are unique to our culture. If you've got a, um, a veteran family that is uh, dealing with a wounded, ill, and injured situation, you may have those hidden caregivers without, again, without asking for it. They're now in some level of formal or informal caregiver role for that uh, wounded, ill, and injured veteran or service member. This is a unique environment that if we're not careful, we can take for granted. And professionals like you, Susan, professionals like our colleagues at MSEC across the Military Child Education Coalition and across our wider network, we need to make sure that we exist to make the conditions better for that military education ecosystem to serve the students, to serve the military family members, to arm the educators and the administrators as best we can with all the tools necessary to make that experience easier for them. So ultimately, they can recognize these stressors and hopefully not engage in behaviors that could be dangerous. And alcohol and substance abuse are chief among them. Absolutely. You know, although our military youth, we raise them in a culture of strength and resiliency, they're not going to be immune to those at-risk behaviors. And some of the things that you mentioned, such as transition, maybe they're a caregiver for one of their parents. The term, I think, is called hidden helpers. Yep. You know, you're compacting on top of those other teen stressors. As I know you've experienced as a teen dad, I'm certainly experiencing as well that pressure to get into the right college the pressure of making friends, still having, you know, those social emotional connections, particularly even during this pandemic. So MSEC did a survey and they actually really focused on some specific stressors related to military teens. I think what stood out to me was that there were some anecdotes where the teens kind of shared what they wanted people to know about being a military teen. Would you be willing to share maybe one or two of those? Absolutely. And it kind of dovetails with what we were talking about earlier. The informal things that they deal with are often more important than the formal things they deal with. Grades are important. Class standing, class rank are important. Getting into that right college, as you talked about, is important. But they want to be on a level playing field when they move school to school across the country to overseas and back or vice versa for extracurriculars. They want to be able to compete for that spot on the team, that compete for that first chair in band, for that part in the theater production, whatever the case may be, without the fact of their moves and their transitions getting in the way. They want respect for the fact that losing friends and the difficulty sometimes, depending on where you are in their individual makeup, in making new friends is important. You mentioned our uh, Military Kids Now survey and some of the findings we found with that. And again, it's, it's fairly intuitive, but it's important to go over them that the things that uh, we identify as the big stressors, moving and changing schools, academic stress, and you're used to a particular academic and school-based culture in and of itself, that's a stressor when the teachers are different, when the vibe is different, when the walk to class and the walk to the lunchroom is different, leaving friends as we talked about, fitting in, deployments. Even if you're, for instance, a guard and reserve family, those folks transition because even though they may not pick up stakes and move houses or move towns, they're dealing with deployments and their kids are the ones who are still dealing with 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 months of separation. Those kind of things are incredibly important. The catch-all for all this is uncertainty we're dealing with. 
because look at the current environment we're in, right? The geopolitical environment with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Though we have not, as a nation, involved ourselves militarily full scale around and that uncertainty that's associated can be an extraordinary stressor on our military teams. And those are the things, among other things, that can be potentially those tipping points the irresponsible behavior with alcohol or substances or otherwise. And we, as a military-connected community, want to be particularly attuned to that. And that's why MSEC provides those programs and services for students, for parents, and for that entire military education ecosystem to serve those kids the best way we can to hopefully nip these kind of behaviors in the bud. I think you bring up some excellent points, Tim. And I have to ask Chris, you're a military brat yourself. Your dad's a 32-year veteran in the Air Force. Listening to Tim talk, I'm wondering how much of that resonates for you when you were growing up as a military teen? Very much. I mean, it reminds me, you know, when you get older, you kind of lose sight of what it was like when you're a teenager or a young teenager. All teenagers... Uh, just go back and reflect and just remember how dramatic things were when you were a teenager. You know, you liked a boy or a girl, or uh, you didn't get a good grade, or you didn't make a basketball team, or whatever. It's earthquakes every day that you're navigating as a young, growing adult. Everybody has different coping mechanisms and so forth. And what's so critical is obviously modeling behavior of the parents is first and foremost in continuing to have that conversation right you want to have an open and honest discussion an ongoing discussion with those teenagers because invariably at some point they are going to be looking for ways to cope with challenges and stress that what tim was talking about so it is critical that they recognize and understand that alcohol or any kind of substance cannot be a contributing component to your coping with stress. You know, exercise, do positive activities to manage that. So the stress levels for military kids are even greater because you're potentially changing schools. Just think about how dramatic that is, right? Most kids probably don't have to change schools a lot, right? They grow up in the neighborhood and they go to the same school all the way through high school. Military kids are changing schools, being confronted with different cultures and different countries and all of the above. So what is important is parents continue to have ongoing discussions with their kids. They model behavior. Responsibility.org has a lot of resources for parents to help guide and continue that conversation. Because the peer pressure points are going to come. It's just, it's part of our environment. And uh, what we don't want is young teenagers to use beverage alcohol as a coping mechanism. Because what that does is set the stage to use beverage alcohol as a coping mechanism when you go through the pressures you go through when you get married or you have kids. So how you contend with these societal challenges when you're a teenager will make a difference in your entire life. So it's critical to have open and honest conversations. I think that's a very strong point, you know, those open and honest conversations. And responsibility.org has been instrumental in those conversations 
on the fight against underage drinking and drunk driving. And you've actually brought Dr. Katie Friedman, who's an accomplished pediatrician and who's done research and work with teen substance abuse onto your advisory board to help lead that way, and particularly working with children. Dr. Freeman, I have to say, one of the first things that comes to mind, at least for me, because I have three teens, one is super chatty, my other two are not. So how do parents start that conversation? And specifically, I mean, what should we be saying? Yeah, so it's a great question. And it's one that is, as we've been speaking throughout this podcast, it's a building block. And it's a process that needs to be started at a really young age in order to create this open line of communication. I think with teenagers in particular, as you had mentioned, they're all very different and they all respond in different ways. And sometimes in a high stressful situation, it's not the opportune time to talk to your child about what they have done, drugs and alcohol. I find that the most effective time to really open up the conversation with kids is when it's like a non-threatening situation. So, for instance, carpool can be your best friend when you're driving your kid in the car and it's just you and them. They don't have any distractions. You ask them about their high of their day or what so what happened the day. That really opens up the line of communication and allows you to speak to them in a non-threatening way. For my children in particular, we started a tradition that we've had since they were little where we talk about the highs and lows of our day. And in those highs and lows, I learn a lot about what's going on with them mentally and socially. So really just kind of finding those niche times to open up the conversation and talk about it. And I think the most important thing with the teenage children and the adolescent children, and the thing that I find the biggest association in the ER with children that have drug and alcohol abuse is their ability to talk to their parent and their ability to reach out to their parent. If your child does not know that you are their strongest advocate and that they are fearful that they're going to get in trouble, they tend to make even more dangerous decisions because they're scared of the repercussions. That's not what we want. You know, I think a great thing is to write a contract with your child so that they know that at any time, at any place, if they need to be picked up or they made a mistake, that you're going to pick them up uh, with no questions asked so that they feel that security that you are their number one support and you are there in their corner. You know, there's a really important balance of, of course, you don't ever want them to feel you need to set that boundary and let them understand and know that alcohol and drugs is an absolute no and that, you know, it's not, there's a zero tolerance for it, but also that we all make mistakes and that when we do make mistakes, it is our family that picks us up and supports us and that we will get through it as a family. It doesn't mean that they're not going to get in trouble, but it means in that time of trauma or that moment of that mistake that they can come to you and use you as a support system because you promise you, you want them to come to you before they go to somebody else. I agree with that. When our children are younger, we are the key influence to some of their decisions and what they're looking at. And as they get older, though, that kind of shifts. They seem to be more time with their friends. They are listening to their friends a little bit more. And research, though, also indicates that if if you can correlate a rule with a teen's safety, they're more likely to listen. But because of COVID, some parents maybe are feeling a little bit more lenient. You know, their kids have lost out so much over the last few years. And you've shared some good strategies, but what else could parents do to reinforce a responsible example and emphasize safety? Susan, I'll, I'll jump in here. We've got a program on www.responsibility.org where it's parents, you're not done yet, right? So 
that conversation and the guide with that program helps parents continue those conversations through those tougher teenage years. And you need to prepare them for those students that are about to embark on college. That's a whole nother challenge. And Responsibility.org's got a platform called Alcohol 101 Plus to help educate college students about some of the challenges that they may face as well. So parents are not done yet. I mean, there is a, an important theme in that message that parents have to continue the conversation as Dr. Katie was talking about and Tim, you know, all throughout these years, because these pressure points are only gonna increase throughout their lives. And if you model good behavior and continue the conversation, the odds are great that they're gonna make better and smarter decisions as they grow up to be young men and young women. So Dr. Katie, how best then to proceed if we find out that our kids are already engaged in risky behaviors? I think first and foremost, it's important to understand that there's a direct relationship between mental health and substance abuse. And it's important that before we preach, we listen and we try to identify any problems that might be going on because depression and substance abuse can look very similar and have very similar features. So if your child is displaying increased sleepiness, um, changing their group of friends in their room, sleeping out half of the day, they don't have passion for their, their um, after school activities. These can all be red flags that something else is going on. So it's really important that we listen to those cues and listen to what's going on in our child's mental health as well as their uh, physical health. So that's first and foremost is to listen before preach. And then the next thing I would say is that once we realize that our child is participating in risky activities is to get help immediately. Don't think that this is just a one-time thing. Don't ignore the symptoms. Make sure that you get as much help as you possibly can as soon as possible. I recommend to all of my patients that first they start within their schools. Go to your guidance counselor. See what's available amongst the different school-aged children. Churches are a great resource as well. And then, of course, as we spoke with Tim, there's a lot of resources within the military family and the military communities that um, I'm sure would be more than happy to give the resources for. But it's important for them to know that they're not alone. It's important for them to feel like there's other people that are having similar problems or feeling the same way. And getting yourself, the family, as well as the child, surrounding them around as much help and support as they possibly can is really the key to kind of trying to help navigate or change the path, of course, in their relationship with drugs and alcohol. Remembering always, as we always continue to reiterate in this podcast, the behaviors that we display and the way that we, our relationship with alcohol and stress is directly uh, related to our children and they model those activities and the way that our relationship also is their relationship. So just making sure that we're very mindful of that as well. Dr. Katie, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on this topic and the tangible advice that you've shared with parents today. Our middle child is going to be a freshman this year in college. And like most parents, we're worried about the environment that he's going to be in and whether or not it's going to have an influence on him. So how can families stay in touch with their kids, including college-age kids, to help keep them on the right track? Well, I think keep the conversation open. You know, every once in a while, your kids, look, I'm, I'm living through this right now with 13 and 16-year-old boys, right? They're going to do something that you don't like. They're going to make mistakes, like parents make mistakes. 
And the key is not to shut them off, right? Not, you got to maintain the communication, particularly in those teenage years where they're less inclined to want to talk to you anyway, right? Because they've got other interests and they're kind of becoming their own person and so forth. So continue the conversation. And certainly going into college, responsibility.org has got a great platform called Alcohol 101 Plus. And again, it helps continue the conversation, the education of the tools that responsibility.org provides that helps young adults make smart decisions, particularly when they're going through all the fun and the pressures associated to being in college and being becoming an adult. Well, I think when parents are armed with the right information, they truly can feel empowered to act. We're going to expand on all these initial conversations with a webinar in the fall. As we wrap up, I'd like to thank all three of you for coming on the show today. We are truly grateful for your dedication, not only to this cause, but also our military connected kids. For our listeners, we will include information in the show's notes about today's podcast. In closing, we'd like to thank again the Fort Lee Area Spouses Club for their support of this podcast. You've been listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. Until next time, live a great story.